Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. And we are back on the Believe in the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Golden, the Jets X-Factor. I got former Jet running back Lamont Jordan here with me. Lamont, we are here to review a Jets win. Very excited to be talking about that for the second time this year. Not very often the Jets get two wins before October. In fact, the last time I think they were... 500 at this point in October was all the way back in 2015, if I'm remembering correctly. So it's been quite the long time since the Jets have had this much to celebrate this early coming off a 24 20 victory in Pittsburgh, their second victory ever in the city of Pittsburgh against the Steelers. We got a lot of talk about. We also got a big game coming up this week against the Miami Dolphins first division opponent opponent. The Dolphins seem to be rolling despite any sort of injury problems that they're dealing with at quarterback or otherwise. They have a very talented head coach who knows our staff very well. One of their former staff mates in San Francisco, Mike McDaniel, now running the Dolphins down in Miami. This is a really interesting week. I can't wait to get into it. Let's just jump right in, getting started with Pittsburgh. What was your biggest takeaway from the Steelers game? And where did you really think the game kind of fell into place for the Jets? Um, my takeaway is that the Jets defense is real. Um, I really think that all season long, the Jets defense kept us in there. And you could see the immediate um, you know, you just see what Zach brings to the table. I think this is a game that if Flacco or White were the quarterback, I don't think that we walk away with a victory. Um, Agreed. Zach was able to make some plays with his feet. And when you have an offensive line, I think we've talked about this a number of times on the show. When you have an offensive line that is struggling, you want to have a mobile quarterback that can kind of make up for some of their deficiencies. And um, Zach did that. Zach, I mean, he came out and he did that. When you think about um, you know, we talked last year about slow starts for the Jets, right? And for me, I just look at the I just look at the first few drives of the game. Pittsburgh came out to establish the run. We forced the punt. Offense goes three and out. Defense gets an interception. Offense kicks a field goal. Defense forces a punt. Um, and then we had a great drive uh, for the touchdown on a reverse pass. So for me, I think it starts and it ends with the defense. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, I think it absolutely starts and ends with the defense because four interceptions, nine pass deflections, you know, a great play on a great receiving core like the Pittsburgh Steelers have, regardless of their quarterback situation. Those guys are going to be tough covers anyway. You know, this was a really, really good play from the defense, secondary especially. Uh, LaMarcus Joyner, best game I've seen from him as a Jet by far. Mm -hmm. We've only seen a handful so far. He didn't play much in the first game last year before he got injured. We've only had four games so far of 2022, but this was like a night and day type of shift in performance from the safety position in particular. Joyner was all over the field in coverage, let alone the two interceptions that he had on the day was breaking up passes. He even caused an interception that he didn't catch himself uh, on Kenny Pickett's first pass attempt where he's going up at, at five foot nine, LaMarcus Joyner match it up on a six, four chase Claypool on a jump ball down the field. And he wins and tips the ball away. Jordan Whitehead's right there. Johnny on the spot to pick it off. 
they i agree completely the the defense really set the tone early for this game not giving up easy rushing lanes for Najee harris not giving up anything easy in coverage to these receivers and the offense had a bit of a slow start on their first two drives where you go three and out i think they went on their first drive and then got settled through a field goal the next drive but eventually they got into a groove they got out to that touch uh, got that touchdown at the end of their second drive got out to a 10 nothing lead and at that point it really felt like the jets were in control and i really feel like this is where as a team, you're you're looking for that improvement, and they've had games where they've been out of it from the start, and they've never had a chance. They've been games where they've been out of it now for most of it, and were able to come back at the very end. Now they've had a game where they played well, they started fast, they let it slip as the game went on, and they were able to come back from behind and still secure the win anyway. They're growing up right in front of our eyes, and you have to be encouraged by what you're seeing. Oh, definitely encouraged you know, definitely encouraged with what I'm seeing. And the thing that I love from the defense is just the consistency. Like these guys get to the ball. Um, yep. and, and and when you look at the catches that are made outside of when we're playing some type of zone defense where a guy's just settling in the zone, like these wideouts are having to make tough contested catches. We can live with that. If, if if you're making tough contested catches over us and you're doing it on a consistent basis and you're winning games that way, then you know what? Hey, we have to remember this is the NFL. Both sides of the ball get paid. Um, but with that said, the D line, I think I think the D line does a great job of this. It did a great job of disrupting the timing of Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh definitely came out to try to establish the run. And listen, I, I, they were really getting to the ball. This is going to be something that this has to be the Jets' identity. All right. We said it last show, and I've been saying it that the defense is the heart and soul of this team right now. I love watching this Jets defense play. They are physical up front, they tackle in the secondary, and they force you to make tough, contested catches. We can live with that. You get an offense that 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 can be more consistent to help support this Jets defense. And for me, when I think about this game, I have to take my head off to our punny unit. Have to take my head off to our punny unit because they Definitely. did a job of shifting field position. And, and the amount of times that a drive had to start inside of the 20. You know, these are things that you cannot, you, you know, yes, we love to talk about the Wilson and we love talking about all the guys on the defensive side of the ball, but we do have to take our head off to the special teams unit because you have to win two of the three battles. All right. We won the defensive battle um, and we won the special teams battle. And that's why we were able to come out there and win this game. And think about this, Drew. I don't really think. I can't remember watching this game and saying to myself, oh, man, Pittsburgh missed the touchdown. There were a couple of times, especially in the second quarter. Yes, sir. Wilson threw the ball, and we had, you know, he had a miss to haul wide open for a touchdown. Those are things that when I look at, you have every reason to be encouraged. We forced Pittsburgh to earn everything that they got. And when we when I sat back and I watched this film, I said to myself that we missed a lot of easy things. So you have to be encouraged by that. Oh, 110%. I could not agree with you more on that. That was my biggest takeaway from this game by far is that they were able to win for the second time ever in Pittsburgh. They got out to a two-score lead early, and it should have been a blowout. It should have been a destruction of the Pittsburgh Steelers. You get right in. Well, this is the the 
encapsulating focus of this game for me in terms of missed opportunities and what could have been jets are up 10 to three towards the end of the half. They're driving down the field, trying to score a touchdown, do the old classic bill Belichick double up where you score a touchdown, right? As time expires, the end of half, you get the ball starting in the second half, you go down and you score another touchdown and it's a 14 point flip and the other team can not do anything about it. And now they're screwed. You could have had Pittsburgh Steelers 24 to three midway through the third quarter. And instead you're driving down the field, you get into, I believe it was a third long situation mm -hmm. and you have an interception from Zach Wilson on an over route to Jeff Smith. And I don't know if you've seen the all 22 of this play Lamont, but that interception is not Zach Wilson's fault. Haven't seen that. I do need to check and look at that. But right, so I mean, let me I, watch it throughout the course of the game. Yes. That wasn't on him. Yeah. And this was, he had, he had a, we'll get to Zach more. He had a couple of plays that weren't interceptions that probably should have been that were mm -hmm. dropped by defenders or were really risky and throws into coverage. And the couple of plays he had that actually were intercepted really weren't his fault. And were either a drop by Conklin that was a little high, but still catchable. And then this play by, uh, Zach, that was an interception to cam Sutton towards the end of the half that I'm going to explain Elijah Moore screwed him. Elijah Moore completely and totally screwed him on his route. The jets are playing. They're an empty. They have Jeff Smith as a, in a three by two. They have three to the left, two to the right. Jeff Smith is on the right. He's running this really deep over route coming all the way across the field. Steelers are in cover one. They have Minka as the robber over the middle. And Jeff Smith is starting his over route, goes roughly 20, 25 yards downfield. And since this is like not quite the red zone, but it's the higher red zone, it's about the 30, 35 yard line from where the ball was spotted. Elijah Moore is lined up outside on the left, on the far outside, and he's running. This is what I don't understand and quite honestly think it has to be Elijah Moore's fault. He's running a, a go route, but after he gets like 12 yards up the field, he turns back for the ball and starts jogging and completely slows down, doesn't settle like he's going to run a curl, doesn't continue streaking down the field like he was running a go when he's looking over his shoulder. He stops running, he turns around, he starts jogging, and that causes Cam Sutton, who's guarding him in man coverage and tapping him over the top. Um, backpedaling he gets to a point where he slows down he's able to start transitioning and he's seeing more look back for the ball so he looks back at wilson to see if the ball's coming and the ball's not coming wilson's got his eyes on jeff smith coming on the over and cam sutton goes oh well i don't have to cover him anymore he's slowed down he's not even being looked at wilson's starting to throw he's throwing to this over route and i'm standing right in the dead middle of where this over route is supposed to be coming i just have to drift and pick it off it wasn't a good throw zach overthrew it but it wouldn't have been an interception if Elijah Moore didn't run his route incorrectly. My guess with you as an offensive play caller yourself, I'm sure you can attest to this Lamont. What I know about route spacing and what I know about how plays are designed to, to open up space for each other. My thought would be that Elijah Moore should be running a curl route in that situation. You're in the high red zone. If you're trying to run him as a go route, as a clear out, you would really hope there to be more room on the field to take away any safety or, or open up some room on the sideline where you're trying to hit that over route in the high red zone. I'm thinking that he's going to be running more of a shallow curl and that's going to draw his man defender down, provide a window behind him uh, over his head to hit the over route on the sideline there. Either way, if Elijah Moore runs the streak correctly, he's going to clear out some space for Jeff Smith. It's probably not going to be an interception. It's just going to be an incompletion. If he runs the curl route like I would have drawn up if I was the offensive coordinator, I think if Zach hits the throw, it's wide open. The problem for me is that regardless of whether it was bad spacing by Michael Floor, 
it was a bad route by Elijah Moore because there's no way that he should spend the last six yards of his route jogging and looking back at the ball. Cam Sutton never gets in position to fall off his route and man coverage and look for this over route that's coming right towards him if that doesn't happen. But this is where I want to talk about this game particularly. When you said missed opportunities, on the very same play, Garrett Wilson is in the slot to the left, and he's running a deep over route himself. And he absolutely destroys his man off the line immediately and gets wide open on this deep over route for what would have been a touchdown. And it's going to the other side of the field. Zach Wilson is looking to his left. You have the over from the right coming over towards the left. Garrett Wilson on the left coming over towards the right. And he sees Minka stay leveraged in the center of the field and knows that eventually Smith is going to get open if Moore runs this clear route. But where I want to see growth from this team, and I think that a second game Zach Wilson, a third game Zach Wilson, will start to see this more. And I really hope we start to see this more. Garrett Wilson is a, a freak talent. I think we are all ready to say that he's completely translated to the NFL and that guarding him is going to be just as tough for professional athletes as it was for guys in college. And if I know that I have number 17 in the slot with a two-way go with man coverage against a bad corner unit, and he's running a deep over route, I am getting my eyes off the snap. I don't care what the progression is. I don't care where, where I'm supposed to be going. The second the ball is snapped, I am peeking at number 17. And if he cooks his man off the line, I'm giving him the ball. That's it. I'm not thinking about it. I'm, I'm going to be the, the pro quarterback that goes, I have a absolute nightmare weapon in 17 and I'm getting him the ball as much as I can. I want to see him become more the focus and exploit these matchups. I had an article I posted on Jets X Factor uh, after the Bengals game where the whole point of the article was you have to start letting these players think for themselves and you have to allow them to slightly audible and change play calls when they get the feeling to see fit. They don't need to change the scheme. You don't need to give them full control to call their own plays. You don't need to tell them every single time you have an idea, do it. But when you have a really good feeling about something as a professional athlete, these guys are supposed to be paid to think as much as they're paid to perform athletically. And the Jets coaches kind of have it the other way, where they want to eliminate thinking and they want them to just play fast and play free. There's a lot to that, but you also have to be a brain on the field and you also have to be willing to adapt. I want to see that growth from this offense where, okay, if Elijah Moore runs a better route, is it not an interception? Yeah, but why are we throwing a deep over to Jeff Smith when we have Garrett Wilson on the field? Like that's, that's where my eyes would go without even having to worry about Jeff Smith getting open. I know Garrett Wilson is going to get open. I will say this to that. First of all, and and I'm as as I'm speaking, I'm, I'm also watching the play. A number of things on this. I agree with you. When I first watched this play and I watched the replay, I didn't like the spacing on it. I, I knew something right. was wrong. It's something too. Was, it's too bad to be intentional. Yes, and so here's here's the way I look at this. I love the play call and I love the deep over to Wilson. All right. First of all, if you're going to run this route here, uh, um, um, more, this has to be a hitch. This has to be like a five. Agreed. Like a seven yard hitch. Exactly. It has to be something like that to hold that cornerback. All right. Now a good veteran corner in this situation, because Zach's eyes aren't sitting there, aren't worrying about the, you know, the hitch route. A good corner can still settle back on this. The reason that I like this play is because as I'm sitting here watching a re- watching a replay, the route to Smith is open. The reason that the route to Smith is open is because a he's running a good route, 
the yep. safety has his shoulders. I mean, he's literally looking at the sideline because he's got his eyes on Garrett Wilson. So I love the play design. What I don't like is now, first of all, I don't like more his route. That was a bad route. I think that was just poor communication. I think the play was drawn up nice, but that has to be a hitch for more. All right. Now the route to Wilson is open. All right. The route to, uh, to, to Garrett is open. Why he doesn't throw that. I don't understand it. It could, what I'm seeing is that he predetermined this throw. That's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing that in his eyes, he predetermined this. Where I have it paused right now is at the point where Wilson is on the hash, Smith is over top of him yep. on the right hash. At and Sutton's point, just starting to turn. Yes, and Sutton is just starting to turn. Part of the reason that he Wilson is staring down Smith that's that's just what it is. This looks like a predetermined. This looks like a predetermined throw. Now, understand this: Smith is open. Yes, he is. Smith is open. Wilson throws a great ball. I think Wilson throws a perfect pass if Moore runs the right route. So I agree with you hundred percent with regards to how many things that we left out there on the field. But this is where when you talk about Wilson coming back for a second and a third game, this is something that he's going to look at and he's going to say, yep. hey, you know what? I predetermined this throw. All right. Um, I could have hit Wilson on this, but I can understand why he did it. I mean, I really understand why he did it. There was no oh, yeah. way that he could anticipate because he's holding the safety. Right. What Wilson oh, yeah. is holding. It's not the a safety. bad decision at all. It's yeah. a good decision from Zach Wilson. It's the right route against the right coverage and Jeff Smith gets open and Wilson is expecting Elijah Moore to run the right route and there to be open space where he's throwing the ball. It's not yeah. his fault that he's throwing for what he's expecting to happen. And Elijah Moore does something that screws him over. That's absolutely not Zach Wilson's fault. And I agree. It's not like this is, Oh, he was, you know, let's stare down Jeff Smith. Who's double covered while Garrett Wilson's wide open. No, he made a good read. It was just not the best read he could have made. And here's the thing about it. I totally disagree. I, I I understand because of where Wilson, because of where Garrett was crossing that, you also have to look at this. The one, the other thing that, that I don't like about this, when you talk about the spacing is it looks like they had the tight end on the wheel route on this. All right. And so if you look, if, if the play continues on, you have Wilson and you have the tight end who are running a wheel route in the same area. That could that that could make that read a little foggy if you're trying to get the ball to Garrett. All in all, I, I love the read by him. There was no way that he can anticipate that his wide receiver was going to run the wrong route. And that's what this was. This was a guy that was was unsure about what he was doing. And I'm talking about more. He wasn't sure if he's supposed to clear out. Listen, I've played this position. All right. And when I say I've played this position, meaning I have lined up as a running back whose job it is, it's just to, I am not getting the ball. I, have, I am a decoy. I, I am clear. Job. Yep. Yes. I have one job. I have to take the outside shoulder of the cornerback, force him to turn his back to the over route and make sure that I run him into the end zone to make sure that he doesn't do exactly what he did here. And so, you know, just to kind of summarize this play up, because this was a big play. This was a critical play. 
you know, and if this was the end of the game, then this would have cost us the game. And so for our listeners, this is why we're spending so much time on it. These are just the little things, Drew, that we're talking about while we're so excited about this team, because these are all things that can be corrected. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. No, this is this is the room for improvement. The Jets had a, a very good win. They did a lot of things correct. They did a lot of things well. They the fourth quarter they played was fantastic top to bottom, but there was still a lot of things they could have done better. And looking at this division that they're in right now, good enough isn't going to cut it. You, you got to be better. If you want to compete with the Dolphins on Sunday, you got to be better than what you showed in Pittsburgh, because I think, and this will be a good way to transition. I think this is going to be a dogfight of a game between the Dolphins and the Jets, let alone the rivalry. Division games are always going to be tough because of the rivalry. These coaching staffs know each other forwards, backwards, and sideways. Mike McDaniel knows Robert Sala's defense probably about as good as Robert Sala does. Mike McDaniel knows Mike LaFleur's offense probably better than Mike LaFleur does. You're going against a coach who knows your own plays and knows your own calls and your checks and your tendencies and has been in your head as good as, as well as any other coach, you know, coordinator relationship can be in the NFL where you have two head coaches going against each other, as well as knowing the coordinators, this is going to be a really, really tough game for the Jets. And so when I'm looking at this, I made this point on my other show on Oklahoma girl this week, but I truly think this is the, the biggest starting point of this game in its entirety. If you're the New York Jets and you come out and you don't have some tendency breaker to start the game, you don't have something different that you are going to be trying to do to attack the dolphins. You're going to lose. It's that plain and simple because Mike McDaniel is not the type of coach that is going to okay, I know I'm not going to try and completely outsmart myself and and you don't want to completely reinvent the wheel and and change who you are. You want to have an identity, but you got to have some things to catch them off guard. And if there's one thing that I'm expecting is that I don't think McDaniel is going to want to let the Jets do what they do best. I don't think he's going to want to let LaFleur as an offensive coordinator talking to his defense as a head coach. I don't think he's going to want to let LaFleur establish the outside run game to set up play action. I don't think he's going to want to let LaFleur get the run game going at all on defensively. I don't think he's going to want to let Robert Sala just sit in his zone coverages all day. So you have to have some amount of wrinkle. You have to have something different when there's so much familiarity between these two staffs, you're not going to trick them by running the stuff you've always ran your entire career. So I really am hoping we see some more adaptability and malleability from the Jets. It doesn't have to be the whole game. It doesn't have to be a completely new game plan. You don't have to scrap your entire playbook and draw something up new in a week, but you got to try something different. So offensively, what I am trying first is quick game. I am saying let's run the quick game pass. Let's take advantage of all the space the Dolphins give their cornerbacks. I think we have some pretty good receivers that can break some tackles in space. So if they want to be nine yards off, and come up and rally and tackle and play cover zero, then let's get the ball out quick. Let's get it in Garrett Wilson's hands and let him break a tackle and run up the sideline. I'm not going to try and run into the teeth of this Dolphins defense like they're any other team, let alone the fact the Jets have shown that it doesn't matter who they're playing, they can't run the ball anyway. So I, I really think you have to go outside of your tendencies to start the game on offense to have a chance. And on defense, let's see some man coverage on early downs. It's It's a risk. You got speedy receivers, but you know what? Those two speedy receivers and and Hill and Waddle are both dealing with leg injuries this week, and we're both limited in practice. 
So if there's ever a week to maybe take a risk early and see if you can't get away with some man coverage on these guys and fool the the Dolphins who are going to be expecting zone on first and second and then man on third down, let's see if you can run something a little different early and get into Teddy Bridgewater's head and deal mess with a backup quarterback. Overall, if the Jets stick to their their normal scripts of this is what we do and we're going to keep things simple, I really think they're going to have a long day. Man, man, oh man. I um I'm kind of I'm 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 kind of stuck on this game. And and I'm stuck because it's just one of those things where I just don't know how this game is gonna go. As I break down the film of these teams, I I I kind of feel like that these teams are spitting images of one another. They're they're incredibly similar. They both teams have defenses that just flat out get to the ball. Um, both teams have offensive weapons that if you get them the ball in space, they can break a tackle and go the distance. The Dolphins have the ultimate threat in Tyreek Hill. Um, I'm going to go back to the Pittsburgh game. And I'm going to go back to the end of the first half where I believe Pittsburgh threw an interception and we tried our hardest to take that thing back to the house. That is the identity of the Jets. To me, the Jets win this game because they are more of a team. I don't think that Miami will hold it together in a tight game against the Jets. I just don't think they'll do it. With that said, I don't I don't think that we really need to change up what we do. I just think that we need to exploit what they do. And for me, is when they play press man, we just have to beat press man. It's just that simple. If we beat press man, we win this game. Because if we can't be if we beat press man, it's going to force the Dolphins to get into a zone. And if they get into a zone, then I think that Zach is going to carve this defense up. I don't think that these guys can cover our guys for four quarters if we're able to hold up passing, if we're able to hold up and give Zach an opportunity to throw the ball. I anticipate that Zach is going to be a lot better this game. This is his second game back. Um, and I like the fact that he's playing against a team that he's familiar with and we're playing at home. So for me, I, if I'm the Jets, I say do what we do. Let your pass set up your run. Don't come out and try to run the ball. The Dolphins, they put five men across. Majority of the time when I see the Dolphins, they have five men lined up on the line. The safeties are low, and they're basically telling you, hey, you're going to have to beat us over the top. So if I'm the Jets, I say, hey, if that's what you want to do, we're going to come out, first play of the game, let's take a shot. I'm not against the idea either. I'm... If they are going to give press coverage, first off, the Dolphins are the 31st ranked pass defense in the NFL right now. So they are, they have not been doing well defending the passing game at all. Xavier Howard is injured with a groin injury. Even if he can play, he's been statistically one of the worst corners in the league this year. His bottom 25th percentile in yards allowed, catches allowed, touchdowns allowed, reception percentage, like all the major metrics. He has not been playing well. Their defense as a whole has not been defending the pass very well. 
mm-hmm. it's really a subject of their cornerback group more than anything else. Byron Jones has been out. Xavier Howard's been not playing well and injured. Noah Igbenogany, their first round pick from a few, few years ago, was a complete bust. You know, they really are, have been hurting in the secondary at corner. So if they're going to play press coverage, then this is the game Garrett Wilson explodes. This is the game Garrett Wilson goes. No, I'm the best rookie receiver. It's not even a competition. I'm a future superstar in this league. And that's it. Everybody get on notice because that same play we were talking about earlier, Lamont, where it was in Pittsburgh and towards the end of the half, the interception where Wilson's running the over and he gets wide open. He's from a press coverage alignment. He's in the slot and he runs that little stutter hop release that he does every time someone gives him press. And I don't know how you're supposed to cover him as a corner when he does that. I I don't know how if he's in the slot and he's got a two way go and he can go to his right or his left. And he just does that quick little hop and stutter. And he freezes in the air for three quarters of a second. And the second his feet touch the ground, he's exploding in whatever direction he needs to go. You're going to, you have to freeze your feet as a corner. You you have to, to slow your feet and stop because he's coming to a full stop. And the second you slow down as a corner, you're dead. This is the game for me. If I'm Garrett Wilson, if I'm getting press coverage from a shaky corner group, then I'm going to Zach all week saying, if they give me, if you see press, look at me. If you see press, look at me. I'm going to beat it. I'm going to get open. They're not going to keep up with me. It's going to be a big play. Just like I was talking about with that same play, get this guy the ball. Because I'm going to be honest, Elijah Moore has played well. He's disappointed me so far this year. And that route that that was a really bad route and a miscommunication, it, could it have been a miscommunication? Yeah, but even if it was, that's a bad streak route too. So it's really hard for me to sit there and have full confidence and say that it wasn't a, a mess up and a mistake more than it just was a miscommunication. On top of that, you know who's who's you know self-scout here for a second where we can both sit here and admit maybe we were underrating this guy? Corey Davis is having an awesome year. Man, Drew, this AA, listen. And, and that's another reason why I, I just I just had to go back to the Pittsburgh game because anybody who's listened to this show multiple times know I have been hard as hell on Corey Davis. Me too. And I was wrong. He's responded in a major way and been a, a critical factor of this receiving core. If he's not, if he hasn't been their best receiver this year, then he's two behind Wilson. And it's it, they are in a class of their own to me this year. They're playing Corey, really well. Corey Davis is benefiting from Wilson. And he stepped up big. I take my hat off to Corey Davis. He made some tough catches, and 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 that's what it, that's what it has to be. If they're going to take away Wilson, then these other guys have to step up. This week it was Corey Davis. When we get to our our um when we get to our prop bet, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a guy that I'm gonna go with that I think is going to be the X factor, um in this game. But again, yes, Corey Davis is where it's at. Um. I, I do not see them allowing Garrett Wilson to beat them. And if we want to know early on how this game is going to go, all we have to do is look and see who Howard is playing. The Dolphins are going to put Howard, when he comes out, whoever he's lined up over, that is the person that he's going to check. And if we see Howard is lined up with Garrett Wilson, then we have to anticipate that Howard has Garrett Wilson by himself. I do not think that the Dolphins are going to do that. I think that Howard is either going to be checking Corey Davis or or Howard is going to be checking Elijah Moore by himself. And they're going to roll coverage and give safety help over top of Garrett Wilson. That's how I think that this game is going to play out. That's how I would do it. 
if they play press man and they decide that they want to leave one-on-one with Garrett Wilson, Garrett Wilson is going to eat alive any of these cornerbacks they put on him. I just do not see the Dolphins doing that. With that no, said, I don't either. Um, with that said, it's, it's too early to do the prop. It's too early to do the bet. Um, I, I, I'm just so excited to get to it because <laughs> just... it sounds like you got a good one. I don't know if I got a good one this week, so I'm excited to let you get in with that. Um, let's get to the defense before we get ahead to our bets. Cause I do think this is a, a huge game defensively. Obviously mm-hmm. the dolphins are going to be without two and Tugavailoa. Teddy Bridgewater is going to be the starter. And I think in terms of backup quarterbacks ar- around the league, Teddy is probably towards the higher end of the spectrum. I don't think the Dolphins are going to have to change their offensive system much at all with Teddy Bridgewater in as well as Tua Tagovailoa. I don't think there's anything physically that either one of them aren't capable of both doing. I also think that Teddy is an experienced quarterback and a veteran quarterback at that is going to be the type of guy that isn't going to waste time, you know, being concerned. And if his playmakers are open, he's going to get them the ball and Another thing that I heard specifically just applying to Teddy Bridgewater himself when listening to his press conference this week when he was going to be the starter. Lamont, I don't know if you would be able to speak to this yourself, but I'm sure as a former player, if not personally, just with other guys you've been around, you can attest to this. Teddy Bridgewater has had some pretty ridiculous injuries in his career. Yes. And he has been able to overcome that, stay in the league, keep playing. And he literally just talks about how it's a blessing that he gets to come in the building and be around the guys and, and still be able to play this game. And when a guy like that gets an opportunity to go out and start, they're not going to hold anything back. When a guy like that gets an opportunity to get on the field, when they're the backup and they're sitting and they're waiting and they're quietly hoping for a chance, obviously they're not wishing any ill will on their teammates, but obviously everyone wants to play at the same time. When he's going to get in the game, I think Teddy Bridgewater is going to come out swinging. I don't think this is going to be your normal backup quarterback where, okay, let's play the game safe. Let's be conservative. Let's take it out of his hands. I think the Dolphins are going to be fully ready to let Teddy Bridgewater rip it. I think he's going to be excited to rip it. I think he's going to be excited to go against his former team. There's there's going to be a lot to this offense where I think they're going to want to be aggressive, and it's not going to be a, oh, we have a backup quarterback. We have to take our foot off the gas pedal. I'm fully expecting full go from these Dolphins, and full go from these Dolphins is a scary sight with all their speed. So if you're the Jets, and this is a point that Robert Sala had made a few weeks ago, I don't remember what week it was, but it was in a press conference where he was talking about his defense. And I mentioned that I would like to see some early switch ups and let's go for some man coverage and not every down, not every series, but on the first or second series, if you get a good run stop on first down and it's second and long, maybe try a tendency breaker and run maybe a robber look over the middle and see if you can steal something outside of that. Once you get into the nitty gritty of the game, once you get through into the second half and you're going to know what the game plan is, the teams know each other. And now it's about who's the better team and who's the better player. That's when I think as a defense, if you are the jets, the worst possible thing you can do. And the positive to this is that we saw them already learn this and learn their lesson last week in Pittsburgh, trying to blitz the dolphins is going to be a death sentence. I know their offensive line isn't good, You don't have to be completely adverse to it, but the automatic, it's third and eight plus, we're going to run a blitz, we're going to run man coverage, you know it's coming, we know it's coming, go ahead and call a play that's going to beat it because we're not going to get out of it. That's going to be a problem against this team. 
And I really think that you have to time your pressures well, and you have to trust your defensive line, like we saw against Pittsburgh, to get home themselves. The Jets barely blitzed against the Steelers. The Jets played coverage on third and long a lot more than they have this season before that, and it seemed to work. They had one of their best defensive performances of the year, if not the best. So I really think you have to keep with that trend and get out of this. It's third and long. We're going to blitz because Tyreek Hill breaks one tackle and it's a 65 yard touchdown. And that's not going to be something you can come back from easily. No, I agree with you. We, you don't need to blitz. I think you, uh, our defensive line has, has shown that they can get pressure and that they can contain quarterbacks and they can make life really miserable for quarterbacks. And I agree with you. If, if our game plan is to bring pressure against them, then we're going to open ourselves up for, for me, which is a, a critical key to the game, and that's avoid the big plays. Yeah, We can force the Dolphins to drive the length of the field, turn this into a red zone type of game, shorten the field, which kind of limit, which kind of limits their speed, then it increases the chances that we can win. But if you decide, if you bring pressure on Teddy Bridgewater, I, I just, I, I don't like the way that looks. That means that you're going to have sauce lined up on top of Waddle, or you're going to have sauce lined up man to man against Tyreek Hill. And I'm concerned in this game. Sauce showed me something in this, in this, in this last game where there was a toss play that was ran and, and, and I'm just going to tell you, as, as a running back and as a football player, I saw something that you just don't see. And I guarantee the Dolphins saw it, and they're going to attack Sauce. They're coming after him. What I saw him do when they ran a toss sweep to Warren, and it looked like he just kind of two-hand tagged him, waited for somebody else to come and get the ball. Like, for me, this is the game where Sauce gets tested. Definitely. game that 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 we're going to find out what, who Sauce is and what he's about. Because if we blitz and we keep him man-to-man on these guys, I just think that it's going to be a long day. Uh, so don't blitz. You don't need to blitz. Your front four has more than proven that they can get to the quarterback and apply pressure on the quarterback without you having to bring pressure. The people that I'm worried about, the group that I'm really concerned with, Miami – they free release their backs a lot, meaning yes. they will not use their backs in pass protection and they will just let their backs go out in routes. That is something that we all have to pay attention to in this game because that right there is what's going to open the middle of the field up. If you have to keep having your linebackers fly out of the middle of the field to go check a running back that's running into the flats, that's going to open up dig routes. That's going to open up over routes. It's going to open up a multitude of things for the Dolphins' offense. So for me, the thing that I'm paying the most attention to is our our linebackers versus the running backs of the Dolphins out of the backfield. Mostert and and Chase, let's make no mistake about it. These are two bona fide starting running backs in the National Football League, and they put these guys on the field at the same time. That right there, if we don't contain that, it's going to open up so much for the Dolphins, and I think that the Dolphins will be able to put up a lot of points if we allow them to get their running backs involved in this game. No, I completely and totally agree. And I think that linebacker coverage has been a problem for this team most of the year. 
outside of quite honestly, and it's really sad to say, Quincy Williams was having a great season before he got hurt. Oh my God. I really thought he was turning the corner. I really thought things were starting to click for him. And that game he had against Cincinnati was excellent before he got hurt. So it's a shame that that he's not playing. I'm very happy for him that his injury wasn't season ending and that there seems like there's a good chance that he'll be back before the end of the year. But it is very hard to see him not on the field. Quan Alexander has made some great plays in the run. I thought he struggled a little bit in the past game against Pittsburgh when he got his first start. So we're hoping to see some improvement there. Uh, I want to throw something out to you, Amad, as an idea that I had just sitting here thinking about it. And I have no idea if this is something the Jets would actually do, but it's something Robert Sala has done in the past. And I think that maybe in this game in particular, with what you're talking about and the weapons and Edmonds and Mostert, that could be a good wrinkle. Because we have a guy on our, on our practice squad by the name of Will Parks, who's listed as a safety, but does a lot of work in the box, plays solid in coverage, and would in my opinion, likely be a better coverage candidate against a guy like Chase Edmonds or Raheem Mostert than Quan Alexander or CJ Mosley. Mm-hmm. So what if we see some potential big nickel this week where you have your regular nickel set, you have your two safeties and joiner and whitehead. And I don't know if they would ever take Mosley off the field because he's the green dot and he's the one, you know, receiving the play call and giving it to the rest of the team. But maybe you get into a third and long and Quan Alexander comes off the field and Will Parks is the one that's playing man coverage on Chase Edmonds. I think that might do them a lot of good. And I think it might help out help what I quite honestly think like we're talking about could be a really good four man rush that can get home. And the two guys that I want to highlight specifically on that defensive line that I didn't mention, we were talking about Pittsburgh, but I really should have Bryce Huff, who finally was active. And only came in on third and long situations, had 10 pass rush snaps and one on four of them for like a 40% win rate, which is ridiculous. And then we talked earlier where I said, okay, let's self-scout. We were wrong on Corey Davis. God damn, Lamont, we were right on Jermaine Johnson. (laughs) Holy hell, were we right on Jermaine because he is a freak. Run game, pass game, doesn't matter. He's bullying people right now. And he had his first full solo sack against the Steelers on Trubisky in this game. Beats their right tackle clean. Solid jump off the snap, wins with his hands. And then like we talked about for so long, being a guy that that's, that's that long, big and strong, having the flexibility in the bend that he had, the ability to dip under the shoulder, kick his legs out, finish for the sack. Get these guys on the field and let them do the dirty work. Let's get Will Parks in, hopefully, to do some to help out on the back end and provide a little extra second in coverage. And let Bryce Huff and Jermaine run off the edge on third and long and cause havoc because they're kicking ass right now. Yeah, I listen. I, I agree. Yes, yes, that is something you can do. That's something that I've experienced. Um, you know, just when you're playing, is if you have a situation where you have a team that really utilizes the running back out of the backfield, then you would go to a nickel defense. Um, Now here's where it gets tricky with, with the nickel defense, whoever that nickel guy that comes in, you want him to be a guy that's also willing to get his face mask scratched up. I think Will Parks is one of those guys. Yes. Yes. So going with Will Parks. Yes. I do not take Mosley off the field. If you take Mosley off the field, you're taking away your Williams was one of your thumpers. Mosley is your other thumper. If you take Mosley off the field now, I I really think that when it comes to to hitting, when it comes to that guy 
gonna strike fear in you. Now you've just now both of our guys are off the field. So I think for the reasons that you named, that he's a signal caller, he's the green dot, but I also think that you want Mosley on the field because you need his aggressiveness, you need his veteran leadership, you need him on the field. I agree with you that you bring in parks. The thing that the that the defense has to realize is that the Dolphins, for me, watching this film, it's very simple. It's drop back, plant foot, throw, or it's drop back, hitch, hitch, allow time for the deep routes. It, that's that's just what it's been. Yep. And so if they can just if they can just get that timing down, and I have down here in my notes as another key to the game is we have to force we we have to force Teddy Bridgewater to get to his second read because he wants to drop back and he wants to get rid of the ball right now. Forcing him to get to his second and his third read, what that's going to do is it's going to buy time for the defensive line to get there. Um, with the statement that you made earlier about Teddy and being a, a backup quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater will be a starter for at least five or six other teams in the national. Yes, he would. If given an opportunity. Um, with that said, because in my opinion, I think that his arm is a lot stronger than Tua's arm. That makes things a little more dangerous for the simple fact that he can stretch the field a lot more. Now you can use Tyreek's Hill speed because you have a quarterback that can really get the ball to him. Um, so I like the idea of going with the nickel, but it also goes back to what I'm saying. In no way, shape, fashion, or form can the Jets' defense allow the running backs from the Miami Dolphins to affect this game. If the Miami Dolphins' running backs are able to affect this game, then at the end of the game, we're going to look at and the Dolphins are going to have walk away with the victory. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, it's like when we were talking about against Cincinnati. If Joe Mixon goes off, the Jets lose. Uh, yeah. unfortunately it was everybody else on their receiving core went off and Joe Burrow went off, but that's going to happen against those guys. Offense didn't hold up there under the bargain, which made it difficult too. But I think it's very similar in this game. If the running backs go off, it's going to be really tough. I think your game plan as a whole defensively is take away the big play, try and turn them into a purely dink and dunk offense, attack the edges like hell in the run game because that's where they want to go with their run game is outside they want to pitch and sweep and and they want to get all their speed to the edge they're not going to be the the inside power running browns or ravens like we saw earlier in the year set your strong edges limit your big plays force teddy to go to his second read and let your four-man rush do the job i think you can have a solid shot on defense i have one other issue on offense i didn't get to talk about it before but I think it's a good way to end before we get into our picks this week. And it's a very, very specific situation. Doesn't have anything to do with play calling. Doesn't have anything to do with schematics. It is just simply players playing and athleticism taking over. We don't know what's going on with the Jets offensive line. No. Apparently, Dwayne Brown was able to fully practice today. He himself in a press conference said that he's good to go for Sunday. I don't know if maybe he should have said that, and that's something that he wasn't supposed to say, or if that's just him being hopeful and optimistic and saying that, yes, I feel like I'm ready, I'm good, I practice full, I should be okay, and no decision has been made. But either way, Elijah Vera Tucker had to play left tackle last week. And after playing left guard as a rookie, switching to right guard in his second year, then spends a week practicing and goes and plays left tackle. If Dwayne Brown comes back, he's going to be 
fresh off barely a week of practice, a shoulder injury, having not played, let alone the preseason, let alone most of training camp, not played since the end of January of this past year when he was the Seahawks left tackle. That's going to be a break in period. If Dwayne Brown does play, does that mean AVT plays right tackle? Does he go back to right guard? If Dwayne Brown doesn't play, does AVT stay at left tackle? There's a heck of a lot of questions and concerns, quite honestly, with the Jets offensive line. When you lose your top four tackles to injury, that's bound to happen. That said, one thing that really stuck out to me from this game, above all else, from this game, I mean Pittsburgh this past week, speaking about Zach Wilson, I think that's the best I've ever seen Zach Wilson in the NFL play from the pocket. Mm. I think that's the best I've ever seen Zach Wilson been at avoiding sacks too. And there's a difference between avoiding sacks and getting out of pressure and playing from the pocket and maneuvering what guys being tight around you. I thought he was excellent at both of them. And I don't know. It gives me a little bit of an optimistic feel that, yeah, the offensive line could be a problem. And this Dolphins defensive line and pass rush is no joke themselves. Melvin Ingram is having a heck of a year as a sub rusher for them as a veteran. Jalen Phillips is still strong. They have strong guys up the middle like Raekwon Davis. There is, you know, some serious talent on this defensive line. Christian Wilkins, another one on the inside. They got a good group. And the Jets offensive line is reeling right now. Can Zach Wilson do enough for the second time in a row, not only to get out of sacks entirely and turn negative plays into either throwaways or hopefully positive plays, or, and also, can he play as well from the pocket when guys are closing in on him and make throws where he doesn't have room and stay in control and not go down and look at the rush and fall apart because he's being pressured? I think that's going to be the deciding factor between whether we have a successful day on offense or not will be how the offensive line holds up in protection and how Zach responds to that pressure. If, and when it happens. I agree with you, but I'm putting a lot of this on the floor, you know, and I'm speaking as, as an OC myself, when you know that you have trouble with the offensive line, then it's your job to be able to come up with different ways to help them out. So whether it's the screen game, whether it's taking advantage of them and press man, uh, the one thing that I that I, I love from the Shanahan tree in general is that that everybody that's a part of that tree, I think that they do a great job of creating plays where they're constantly moving the pocket. And I think that that's something that LaFleur is going to have to do. He's going to have to move the pocket. It's going to have to be some rollouts, some counter passes. Um, and to be honest with you, I think some of, some of the college stuff, you know, and that's gotta be a shock to you hearing me say that, but I think uh, that who <laughs> are you and what have you done with Lamont? <laughs> I think that this is a week that you break out some of that just to, to, to slow the dolphins down some. And when we're talking about this game, um, <laughs> we have to look at this. All right, when we're talking about defensively. Um, the Dolphins on third down, all right, their offense this year has been 2-10, and 3-8, and 7-11, and 11, and 6-14. for 14. All right. That's a big the opportunity. Flip, the flip side of that, yeah, yep. they went 2-10, for 10, but they allowed Cincinnati to go 8-15. for 15. 
against the Bills. The Dolphins were three for eight. They allowed the Bills to go 11 for 18. Miami was seven for 11 against Baltimore. Baltimore was three for 10. Miami was six for 14 against the Pats. The Pats were four and let four and nine on third down. You look at the Jets, the Jets on third down, two for 14, eight for 15, seven for 18, six for 15. Against Baltimore, they allow Baltimore to convert five of 13. Against the Browns, the Browns converted eight of 12. Since he converted seven of 14, Pittsburgh converted six of 12. I think that the, the writing on the wall is, is, is right here. It's very simple. Offense of the Jets convert on third down. Do not allow Miami to have that big third down conversion day and you increase your chances of winning the game. Now, here is the part, Drew. Just gave you the stats on third down. The Miami Dolphins, when it comes to taking care of the ball, they only have four turnovers this year. They only have four turnovers this year. The flip side of that, the Jets are fifth when it comes to giving the ball away. We have to take care of the ball. We have to make sure we convert on third down. And we have to make sure that we take care of the ball. And we have to generate turnovers. Now, the Jets are one of the top teams in generating turnovers, but we're also one of the top teams in giving the ball away. We cannot have that. that we can't have that this week. When we look at that number this week, it has to be that the Jets held on to the ball and that we were able to force Miami to turn the ball over. If we allow them to convert on third down, if we don't hold on to the ball, everything else that we talked about becomes irrelevant because the Jets will not win this game. They have to hold on to the ball. No, I agree. And I think, quite honestly, it's way more important for them to hold on to the ball offensively than it is for them to generate turnovers on defense. I'm not saying that that's not important because it absolutely is. But I think it's much more about the opportunities you lose on offense when you turn the ball over versus your defense that seems to be able to rally and that seems to be able to get into a groove and has yet to in a single game this year, just let whatever offense they're playing completely and totally trounce them for four straight quarters. So I think it really stands on the offense to make the most of the, uh, the drives that they do have and not give the ball away when they do have it. The thing with the Jets defense, though, the Jets statistically are good at creating turnovers this year. Situationally, it has not been the same. They have forced a turnover in every game so far this year. However, the turnover they forced in week one was a Lamar Jackson pick to DJ Reed down the sideline when the game was out of reach. The turnover they forced in week two was Ashton Davis's game ceiling pick of Jacoby Brissett. Good play, but end of game situation where you know they're throwing downfield and the Jets are playing prevent defense. The turnover they forced against Cincinnati was Jamar Chase fumbling the ball without getting touched. The turnover they forced against Pittsburgh was the four interceptions they had. So this was an explosion of turnovers against the Steelers and three lucky turnovers before that. Mm -hmm. So if I'm looking at that and I'm going, oh, look at the Jets defense, they're doing great at turning the ball over. They did this past week. They haven't before that. They've been struggling outside of game, meaningful, actual game-changing turnovers to generate any before Michael Carter's interception in the fourth quarter 
and Marcus Joyner's interception, you know, at the start of the game, you go into the second half, Jordan Whitehead picks the ball off from Kenny Pickett on the second drive. I'm pretty sure the Jets went three and out with that next possession. So you have to, as an offense, make sure that you are scoring and capitalizing on your possessions. And I think another quick point to end, and I'm sure as a running back, you're going to love hearing this from me. Once you get through the the middle part of the game, the early part of the game, where you're trying out your new stuff, you're going through your script, you're getting through your wrinkles. Like I said earlier, once you get into the meat and the, the meat and potatoes of the game, and it's the nitty gritty, you got to lean on Brees Hall because you got to take the ball out of the Dolphins offense hands. And the best way to prevent Tyreek Hill from running down the field on you is to keep him on the sideline. So if you can generate long drives, if you can generate drives of eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 plays and take a handful of minutes off the clock and get Brees Hall in the backfield where he's churning out seven, eight yards of carry and you really stay on schedule as an offense and avoid those third and long situations that you struggle so much with, I think you can have a really solid day offensively. This Dolphins defense is talented. They aren't necessarily playing so well statistically. And I think the Jets have some pretty solid matchups if the offensive line can do their part. But that said, you can't just be coming out looking to throw downfield all day. And you got to establish some sort of a power run game to keep the game in check. If this game turns into a shootout, I think that's where the Dolphins have the upper hand. I agree with you. I agree with you 100% on that. I, I think what you just said about holding on to the ball, I think that's the key to victory for both teams. I, I, I really do. I really think that because of these defenses, you know, which team is going to be, which team is going to have the most big plays. Um, I just think that both teams are going to have to drive the ball down the field. I, I, I really do. I really think that that's the key to victory for both teams. I think the more that Zach Wilson is on the field, I think the better that he's going to get. And I think that it's going to increase our chances of getting that big play. I like our weapons more than I like their weapons. And I know it's kind of hard to say that when you're talking about a team that has Tyreek Hill and, and Jalen Waddle. Um, and when you're looking at the backfield, I'll take, I'll, I'll take the year I'll that Chase Edmonds have and Mostert over our two guys now our two guys are, are more dangerous in the open field um but i gotta give my due to the running backs that's been in the league uh the longest with regards to the miami dolphins backs um with that said it's going to go back to special teams <laughs> it's going to go back to special teams and i think that both of these kickers are going to come into play i think this is going to be a close game drew I really uh, you're, I'm right there with you. Uh, I'm I'm right there with you. You're, we're in complete agreement. I think that's a good transition to our picks. Let's get into our bets of the week, sponsored by BetOnline.ag. As always, thanks to them. Uh, Lamont, you sounded like you had yours already set. I'm still kind of deciding between two, so I'll let you go ahead and lead things off. What's your bet of the week? Well, I'm going to say this. I have two bets, Drew. First of all, let me start by saying, if you go back and you listen to our show before the season started, um. You know, I have went on a record saying that that the Jets will go two and two against the North. Um, uh, you know, we and talked that they about, did. We talked about how the two teams that we thought they would lose to would be the Baltimore Ravens and the Cincinnati Bengals. 
Uh, with that said, I also went on record in saying that I think that the Dolphins will get swept by the Jets this year and that the Jets at the end of five games will be at three and two. I'm going to stick with that. I'm going to say that the Jets are going to come out here and they're going to win this game. So my first bet is I'm just going to take the Jets on the money line. I think the Jets win this game. My second bet is a same game parlay. I think that Elijah Moore is going to have a huge game. I do. I, I think that Elijah Moore is going to have a huge game. I think that they're going to put Howard on Elijah Moore. I believe that they will roll coverage to um, Garrett Wilson, which means Elijah Moore is going to go off. So I'm taking Elijah Moore to have four plus receptions at a minus 102. And I'm taking Elijah Moore to have 44 or more receiving yards. I like both of those, quite honestly. And it's different from what I was thinking, but I think there's absolutely reason to believe all of that. I We know what Elijah Moore has done against Miami in the past. He had a field day against them uh, with Joe Flacco starting in the second game against the Dolphins last year. Played really well against them. Had his best play of the year at a 69-yard touchdown. Ran clean free down the field. So there's a lot to like with him. And if Garrett Wilson is getting the bracket and he's getting single coverage with an injured Xavier Howard, who's dealing with a groin injury, by the way, uh, for anyone unfamiliar, I'm sure Lamont, you know, just as well as anybody, when you are an athlete, specifically a cornerback or a wide receiver whose entire job is built around quick twitch movements and explosiveness and your groin is hurt, it's very, very difficult to be twitchy and explosive. It's very, very difficult to, to have that same level of speed and agility that you have when you're healthy. And when you're going against a guy like Elijah Moore, who's very quick, very fast, and very explosive in his own right, that's going to make it even more difficult. So yeah, I think if that's the script, then, then that's completely what we're going to see. This is where I'm a little bit different than you, though. The one thing that we've seen from the Jets this year is that they played really bad when they have expectations placed on them. Mm -hmm. and that when they can play free and when they're the underdog and no one's expecting them to do anything and no one in the building believes in them, that's when they rally around each other and that's when they seem to be able to, to find ways to win. And I think that the expectations of being at home, coming off a win, going against a division opponent who's dealing with some injuries and doesn't have their quarterback, I'm worried that that is going to lead to some mistakes. I'm worried that we're going to see a bit of a repeat of what we saw against Cincinnati and that you got all up and high after this big win on the road that no one really expected you to win, even though I think that the Jets had a much better shot against the Steelers to start with than they did against the Browns. That said, you're coming back at home. You're going to have the stadium rocking. And the second things go south, the boos are going to come out. And I'm just worried that you're going to stumble over yourself if you're the New York Jets. And it's going to take a while to get into a rhythm. And I hope by that point, the game isn't out of reach. So my bet of the week this week, I'm going to play it a little safe because I'm going to be honest, Lamont, I call the Dolphins win on my other show, a one point Dolphins win. I agree that this is going to be a close game. Schematically, when I'm looking at this, when I am looking at this from a schematical perspective, I see a Dolphins win. I think that McDaniel is more adaptable than Salah and LaFleur. I think that he's going to find some new wrinkles that are going to help the team 
offensively get their playmakers in space early and stress their rules on defense when they do go into zone coverage. And I think it's going to be a really tough task for them every time they play Miami from now on when McDaniel's the head coach. But I think the offense is talented, the Jets offense. I think Brees Hall's figuring it out. I think he's starting to take over. I still think Michael Carter is plenty effective when he gets his own touches and can still be a factor. And I don't necessarily see this being a game that is low scoring. So I'm hedging my bets on the over. The over the over under right now is 45. It's minus 110 either way. I don't really have anything that I'm dead set sound on that I'm pounding the table. And the last time I did was Jets over Cincinnati big and we saw how that went. So I'm taking the over, over 45, minus 110. I could very easily see this being a 31-24 game or, or a 27-20 game. And I'm not expecting I'm not expecting a defensive slugfest. I think there's too much talent on both of these offenses. I think these coordinators know how to take advantage of the coverages that they see. And I think McDaniel and Teddy Bridgewater are, are going to do enough to have an explosive offense themselves. And if the Dolphins running backs get involved, then forget about it. So I'm leaning the over. I would absolutely love to come in next week and be wrong and say that the Jets played great and they were able to shut down the Dolphins offense and Jets on the money line and Elijah Moore went off. I hope for our sake you are right. I really do. But maybe it's the pessimist in me. Maybe it's the fact that I've been burned by this team so many times coming after big wins. But I got to see it to believe it with them first. And I'm a little skeptical about them coming after an upset. I, I like your bet. I, I, I really like your bet. With the explosive nature of both of these teams, yes, I do think that this, this game could go over 45 points. Um, I, I, def, I disagree with the upset. I don't think, for me, I don't think that beating Pittsburgh is an upset. They beat a Pittsburgh team that had Mitch Trubisky as their quarterback. Who's Upset my- from the rest of the world. I agree. I think the Jets were the better team from the start. I think they should have beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. And like we said during the beginning of the show, it should have been a blowout. But the rest of the media world wouldn't have said that. The rest of the the football landscape is still going to go, oh, it's the same old Jets. It's in Pittsburgh. You know, they're not going to win. Even if it's Trubisky, Mike Tomlin will figure something out. Their defense will play well. You know, it's the Jets. You know, what are they going to do? They still had that worthy underdog to the rest of the world mentality. I'm sure within the building, they were looking their chops. But I think it's proving it to everybody else first. And you know what? And that's where I give Coach Saul the credit, where, you know, and, and that's why, you know, we are the show for the New York Jets. Hey, Coach, we got all this paper for these receipts for you, baby. Yeah. We got all this paper for all these receipts. Who cares what the national media thinks? I can care less what the national media thinks. I know what I see and what I've seen from the time that you and I have started doing this podcast since Coach Saul has taken over. And what I see is a team that is growing. What I see is a franchise that is headed in the right direction. What I see is a franchise and I see a head coach that has a team that has a group of guys who play for each other. You know how many times I watch games and I see a guy make a good play and they never slap their hands with their teammates? That's not yeah. something we see when it comes to the New York Jets. These guys never. No, the guys, the guys who didn't make the play are celebrating harder than the guys that did. 
Exactly. And so with that said, I you know, I don't look at I don't look at this as a possible downer. I think if anything, you have every reason to come out because this is the first game that you're playing a divisional opponent. You just played the AFC North for your first four games. You're now playing the Miami Dolphins right now. A team that has Teddy Bridgewater as their quarterback and and, and and anybody who who has seen him play last week or anybody who has seen him play knows that you cannot sleep on this guy. So I don't think that this is a letdown game. I think that this is a statement game for the Jets. I think the Jets come away at home with this victory. I said at the beginning of the season, I think that karma is going to find the Miami Dolphins. And I think that we're seeing it earlier in the season. You have a quarterback that I don't think should have played in the last game, especially coming off of a short week. Um, and I just think that there's a lot of eerie things that's going to happen with the Miami Dolphins this year. And I think that the eeriness is going to start this week when they lose to the New York Jets. Yeah, you know, I hope you're right. I really do. And I don't think anything you're saying is wrong at all. It's completely sound reasoning. And I can understand from the fan perspective, expecting the upset, but from inside the building, the players are going, our coach believed in us. We believed in us. Who cares what anybody else thinks? We just went out and showed them. We'll do it again. So I can completely and totally see that from that angle. And you brought up something at the end that we hadn't talked about yet, but I've been waiting to get your perspective on. And I think this will be a good way to end before we get out of here. As a former player, being in the locker room, going through a week of practice, when you have the overhanging cloud of a controversy going on with your team, what can that possibly be like? Because right now the Dolphins are being investigated for how they handled Tua Tagovailoa's concussion and how he was cleared supposedly to play after stumbling the week prior, going into the game against the Cincinnati Bengals on Thursday night and getting knocked out and being hospitalized with a serious head injury. They're having a, a lot of issues going on. The NFL is, is really focusing in on the Dolphins and McDaniel and an organization and how they handled this and, and how he was talking about, oh, well, you know, Tua and I were talking on the plane and he was fine. And he was asking me questions. And, and there's a, a bit of a dark cloud, like I said, over the Miami building right now through this week. What's that like as a player? Is that something that you could possibly get affected by? Is that something that players are going to have in the back of their minds? Is that something the coach is going to have to address to the team at the start of the week and say, let's not worry about it? I just, I haven't brought it up as an actual point in any of my analysis yet because I really don't know if it even matters, but I'm curious to get your opinion on that as a former player. Yes. In a situation like that, yes, it, 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 it can. Um, I think the the benefit for the Miami Dolphins in this situation, it, for me, it's very simple. If there are guys in that locker room who are ready to rally behind Teddy Bridgewater, then that's more going to be something that's going to be handled from an administrative standpoint. If you're a player right now in this situation, once you get out there in the field, all that political stuff, all that administrative stuff, that stuff goes right out the window. Yeah, you may get tired of having to answer questions throughout the course of the week about it, but when you're sitting in meetings, when you're out there practicing and when you're preparing for your next opponent, like this is and this is just for me speaking personally, I'm not I, I'm not worrying about that. You know, if I put myself in if if I was to put myself in a situation with everything that's going on, I don't have time to worry about an investigation when I know I got Zach Thomas waiting to come knock my head off. I don't have yeah. time to worry about an investigation. 
because regardless of what the investigation shows, at the end of the day, the Miami Dolphins are going to play football games. And at the end of the day, everybody is still alive to compete for and win a Super Bowl. So once the game starts, once you're around your teammates, and if they have a guy in Teddy Bridgewater that a lot of those guys are ready to rally behind, then then that makes what everything that's going on that kind of softens the blow a little bit. And that's the benefit that the Dolphins have is that you have a veteran quarterback in Ted Bridgewater who can navigate his way through this. And he's a guy, as far as I'm concerned, you're not losing anything because two is out the game. Nope. And so as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's, Hey, the coaches, the medical staff, the owner, the GM, they can take care of all of that stuff. We got a football game to play. That's what I thought. And, and that's what I really figured is from the player spit standpoint, you got so many of your own things to worry about that you, you can't afford to let yourself focus on anything that doesn't affect you directly. Cause there's no point and you're just going to distract yourself from what matters most. So I, I completely and totally understand that. And I agree. I don't think the dolphins have a shot in this game. If their backup quarterback is anybody, but Teddy Bridgewater, <laughs> I agree. I, like that's the fact that he's such a likable person in the locker room, that he's a hometown kid from Miami who goes in middle of the week on Friday nights and goes and stands on the sideline of his old high school and helps draw up plays. You know, they are going to have a guy that they can rally behind in the locker room. They are going to have a guy, like you said, that I don't think is that big of a drop-off from a quality standpoint, let alone a physicality standpoint, to where you're changing your offensive system. If this was Brian Hoyer, you know, like you go from Mac Jones to Brian Hoyer or Tom Brady to Brian Hoyer back in the day, completely different story but but teddy is going to make this tough and i think that's what's going to make this game interesting i can't wait to watch this game i think it's going to be an absolute blast to watch i i agree with you man i i I can't wait i'm i'm happy we were able to get another week of shows in doing a review of a victory uh doing a preview of what i'm anticipating is going to be another victory and uh, man, I just I, I can't wait. I'm right along with you, Drew. We got the Dolphins and we have the Jets. And I'm telling you, as a former Jet, I am fired up for this game, baby. Oh, yeah. Can't wait at home. You got a reason to be excited after a big win. You got the Dolphins coming to town to start off the division. I think there's a scenario where if the Jets beat Miami and Buffalo loses, the Jets have sole possession of first place in the AFC East. So that's a, a dream that fans would have been hoping for, for, for God knows how many years. Personally, my birthday is the day after this game. And last year, the Jets lost in London on my birthday to the Falcons. So I got up at 9 a.m. on my birthday to watch the Jets lose. That was fun. Hoping that this year will be different and that the Jets can maybe get me into a good mood before I wake up Monday morning with a victory Monday on the birthday. Well, Lamont, thank you for being here. Thank you for the time. Thank you to everyone who takes the time to listen as well. Thank you to betonline.ag for sponsoring. You can find me at Golden underscore 17 on Twitter. You can also follow the show at B-L-E-A-V underscore in underscore Jets. And you can find Big Dog over there at Coach Jordan 34 Lamont, any parting shots before we go on and get out of here? Just, hey, everybody be safe. Go Jets. Hoping to end up at three and two after next week. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll be back real, real soon. Bye-bye.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.